0: Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 30 and I'm Brooke McCallery, your host and the creator of the uh, the Slow Home Podcast. And with me is my husband, Ben.
1: G'day everybody. Welcome to episode 30. Uh, episode 30, you speak to one, the one and only
0: Rachel Jonat from uh, minimalistmum.com.
1: I think you'll find it's Rachel Jonat. It could well be.
0: <laughs> you're very fancy. No. <laughs> no, you're not. Um, yeah, no, I chatted to Rachel uh, in this episode and it's it's just genuinely lovely to talk to her. We've been, like I said it to her, we've kind of been dancing around each other on the internet and writing for each other and emailing for years but never actually having spoken. It was really lovely to put a voice, if not a face, to the um to the words and uh, yeah, she had she had a lot to say that you particularly um, found really refreshing, didn't she?
1: Well, sort of, a lot of like hard truths in this conversation. I mean, she's not afraid to uh, uh, golf terminology, play it where it lies. <laughs> yeah, she certainly sort of bucks a few common commonalities, if you like, um, and is not afraid to. To, to sort of call it for what it is, I've, yeah, I found that really refreshing. You, you'll, you know, judge for yourself what you think of it, but um, I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, no, so did I. It's just really nice to hear someone say, yeah, you know what, it's like it would be very easy to fall into this, this idea of perfect like perfecting minimalist life um, in, in every way, shape, and form. And she said, well, but that's not realistic and it's not helpful. Um, so I found that personally really just kind of refreshing to hear that and um, rejuvenating as well, I guess, to go, well, actually you don't have to have all your business together all the time. Uh, and that's not actually even what she's saying. She's just like owning the way she's doing life and feeling really good about that.
1: I particularly liked when she was talking about um, not wanting to do art and craft with her kids, something that I, I could really relate to it because I do not enjoy doing arts and craft. I hate all the bits and pieces and particularly I hate the clean-up <laughs> on the record.
0: Yeah, I didn't need it on the record. I was aware of that, but it's good that you've got it on the record now.
1: <laughs> Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. This week's audiobook is a graphic novel.
0: Which is very strange for an
1: audiobook. (laughs) It's written by Joe Hill, who is Stephen King's son, or we think it's Stephen King's son. It's called Lock and Key, and you can find it for free at audible.com. You can also, if you haven't already, receive 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash slow. Enjoy it, folks. You could get two books for the price of one. (laughs) Equals zero. (laughs) Two, one, zero. Cut that out, Ben. (laughs) I won't.
0: Show notes to this podcast. As always, at slowyourhome.com forward slash 30. Can't believe it's uh, episode 30. It's amazing. We made it to this non-milestone episode. (laughs) Before we get into today's episode, of course, you can always check out Rachel's links, her website. Uh, If you head to theminimalistmum.com, And I will say that that is the minimalist minimalist mom m o m dot com, and you can there find obviously Rachel's blog and links to her social media accounts, also links to her books. She's written a couple of books, which you can buy on Amazon and um, various other retailers. But the best place to kind of find everything about Rachel, and also when the time comes, her information about her um, in home decluttering. Help service, which you will talk about in today's podcast, you'll be able to find that there as well. So, uh, without any further ado, enjoy the podcast. Enjoy the podcast. <clears throat> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, Rachel. How are you going? I'm good. How are you doing, Brooke? I'm really well. Thank you so much yeah. for chatting to me. Yeah, me too. I'm excited. Yeah, same. It's. Uh, I feel like we've been kind of dancing around each other online for years, so it's really nice to actually talk. <laughs> I
2: know. I know. I know. I agree.
0: So just to jump right into it, you guys have just recently made the move back to Vancouver after living on the Isle of man for four years. How's the move back been? It's been great to be back. The move was
2: the slowest move ever. We kind of, I think we knew about 10 months out that we were probably leaving and then it just was a very slow process to actually leave. (laughs) So um, I won't do that again, hopefully ever. Um, I also would not do the think about moving internationally four weeks before you're due with a baby. I won't do that part again. Um, but I think we, we learned quite a bit from, from the move and, uh, and also really realized we just, we love Vancouver. It's, you know, it's, it's our hometown. It's a great city to live in. And, um, you know, we're hoping to spend a lot of time here.
0: (laughs) Uh, Vancouver is such a beautiful city. We visited quite a few years ago, but Oh man, it's just, it's gorgeous. It's got like the best of all worlds.
2: Yeah. You know, I, um, I was watching this video on uh, an urban an urban planner about how they decided many years ago not to build a, a freeway through Vancouver. And it's one of the only Canadian cities not to have a huge freeway, freeway through it. And that's really what has led to keeping it very livable and walkable. Um, so it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, people look at Vancouver as being a great place to live. And, and that started decades ago when they decided not to build a freeway through it.
0: Yeah. I think there's actually something to be said for, for that, that as well. I mean, it's such a walkable, livable, open, kind of free city, you know, it feels like everything is very accessible and just like to hear that that is, you know years and decades in the making makes a lot of sense because then you look at other cities even like um i mean not the center of sydney so much but the sort of the outer areas of sydney um and it's just so inaccessible i mean it's like a day trip to go from one side of the city to the other and um yeah it's yeah yeah, it's um it's something that i wish more cities had that kind of element of livability it's um yeah yeah it's beautiful it was interesting what you were saying before about uh the the kind of the slow long lead up to your move home we were saying before we hit record that there's definitely something to be said for um you know for making a decision and going with it i know there would have been a whole heap of logistics for you guys to deal with in the move but there's certainly something to be said for just kind of saying yeah we're doing this and then jumping
2: yeah i know i mean i think i'm hoping that if if something comes up again where we move internationally, which it's still a strong possibility that we move kind of quite quickly through it. now some of it was inevitable. Our two youngest children were born in the UK and we had to do a lot of, um, paperwork to kind of get their actual Canadian citizenship done so they could come back. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, the rest of it was just just kind of like how, how it worked out. But I do love the idea of just deciding like, okay, we're going to like move in six weeks. And, and, you know, when you make a decision like that, actually on the way over, we made a decision like that, that um, my husband was going to go ahead. And then I said, oh, you know what? I really don't want to be here for three weeks, three, four weeks on my own, kind of closing up shop. So we just decided to go, I think it was a week later. And you get everything done, you know, it might be a little bit more stress, but you do, you know, you find a way.
0: That's it. I mean, I think the more time you give yourself um, for a certain sort of set of tasks up to a certain point anyway, the more time it takes. You know, I find like if I'm operating under a deadline, I still get it done. Um, Yeah, Yeah. I think it's. Interesting, you know, the, like I, I talk a lot about slow living, but I also quite like the pressure of having, you know, a tight turnaround or a tight deadline because I think yes. you do get stuff done. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So um, what has changed apart from the size of your family um, since you moved away four years ago? What do you feel is different?
2: I think we are way more open to living uh, in different size cities. Um, I think before we left, I had always seen myself as living in an urban area. Um, and that's really what we wanted for our family and, uh, moving to a town of 20,000, which is still considerable, but for us was quite a shock. Um, and living somewhere that was a bit remote, um, was really wonderful. And I think it really opened our eyes to what, um, where we could live and what we would enjoy and it also did in, in some ways it did kind of hammer home the things that we really do value the you know being walkable not not being reliant on cars which um kind of the last year we were living in the isle of man we really did we had to, to drive quite a bit more than we really wanted to um and that's uh for us is is a big happiness factor so we're like we'll we'll walk in sideways rain for an hour rather than you know put the kids in the car and have to like park and then get them out of the car seats and, and deal with that. So yeah, I think it was it was a great four years. I'm really really glad we went. Um, but but it really kind of hit home the the things that are really important to us.
0: Yeah, and I think um, that's that's definitely it kind of crystallizes putting yourself in different situations like that and living with them for a while crystallizes like your, your priorities and the things that you really do hold central and dear. Um, so since you came back, since you've come back also, I guess since you guys, um, like, you know, so living in the Isle of man would have obviously helped you kind of crystallize what's important and you know, what you guys really, Aim for and value in life, and since you've come back to Vancouver, like has that have, have you realized that those 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 priorities have shifted at all, or are you just kind of feeling really back in back home?
2: I think we know what we value and what we would like lifestyle wise. I think the one of the bigger shifts moving back is that we've. I love Vancouver; it's very livable, but it's become one of the most least affordable cities in the world to live in. So while we love it here and I would love to stay, I think it's a little bit more on the table that we could move because the, the working, the demands for working to live here are very high and I'm not sure it's something we want to commit to for, you know, the next 20 years or so. Um, it's just very, very expensive here. And, uh, I could see us deciding to move somewhere else. Um, And the fact that we've gone and lived somewhere smaller and a little bit off the the beaten path is very helpful now because we know what, we know a little bit more what to expect and and the things that, that we'd really want to look for in a smaller city and, and the things that aren't, aren't as important to us.
0: I think that that is really valuable, isn't it? I mean, and as, Cities become more and more expensive. That's something that I think, you know, a greater number of people are going to, to start considering because the demands of living in an expensive city, like Sydney's very similar, um, they're, they're unreasonably high. You know, people need to work such long hours or, you know, you've got both parents in a family working full time and, you know, just the demands that that puts on people, um, particularly if that's not what they want to be doing but they're doing it simply to you know, to, to pay the rent or pay the mortgage and, and live, it's, yeah, it's I think it's going to be something that people start to explore more and more over the, the coming years because it's just so prohibitively expensive.
2: No, I, I agree. I, I wrote a post about Vancouver being under, unaffordable um, a little while back, and there are lots of people chiming in about living in very expensive, great, but very expensive cities, and the kind of constant question of, is this worth it? Um, is this how I see myself kind of living? And is there another alternative? And, you know, for us, it's like, well, what's Saskatoon like? Is it, you know, <laughs> is it cheaper to live there? Could I handle a winter? Uh, we're pretty, we're we're very pansy about weather. So I don't know if I could handle a harsh winter, but... Maybe I could handle it if it meant that you know we worked less.
0: Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. And I guess that kind of ties into the essentials of um, like minimalism and slow living because it's really a matter of weighing up what you have and what it, like what it's worth to you and what you're worth to like what, what you're uh, willing to exchange for that. You know, um, how much of my time am I willing to exchange yeah. to buy this thing or to live in this place or um, you know, and asking the overarching question yeah. of like, is this worth it?
2: No, I, I totally agree. And I, I think when we got into minimalism, and I'd say minimalism light, because we're not, we're not hardcore, but um, it was six years ago. And it just more than the getting rid of the stuff, it just really opened up to us like, we have a choice here. You know, you think sometimes you feel that you really don't have a choice, but you, we do have a, a choice and it is, like you said, it's an exchange. Do I want to work a lot more and live in this place, but maybe not um, have that extra time that I want either for myself or my family or whatever? Um, and is, you know, what's the alternative? And are, are there things in my life right now that I could kind of exchange for more time?
0: Um, so recently, you actually wrote about this idea of going slow in order to go fast, which I think is really interesting. Um, can you tell me a bit about that and how you apply that to to your life at the moment?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I was reading. Um, I read lots of blogs um, in different areas, and I think it was an interview on a design blog with a parent about parenting, and she had kind of a brood of kids. I think four kids, and it's one of those, what's your best parenting advice. And she's said, go slow to go fast. You know, when I push these young kids to like, hurry, 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 it just makes everything go slower. And, um, I've really been thinking about that lately in my life because I do have young kids and it does feel sometimes excruciatingly slow. Um, both the, the stages and where we're in and just kind of the, in the moment, but the, the idea of going slow to go fast is, has given me a little, little piece to cling on to of trying to just take a breath and, and calm down and not feel the pressure of the, of the hurry. Um, you know, we have kids, we have kid in school. So we've got like the, the morning gotta be at something. And, um, he really responds well to, you know, a an adult engaging with him rather than just, you know, doing the barking, put your shoes on, let's go, come on, come on, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do it in everything because it, I I am in a very slow stage in some ways of like, you know, we've got a 10-month-old, I'm just, just getting back into running and trying to not do too much at once and and focus on just doing something even if it's, like, you know, 10 minutes
0: a day. Because <laughs> the temptation absolutely is there to, you know, to to kind of yell, hurry up, hurry up, we got to go. Um, but yeah. that also then bleeds into, like, everything. Like you say, you know, um, your like, babies have a way of making us slow down whether we like it or not because they're well and truly on their own timetable, you know. So I guess that you're in the period where you're ch- trying to kind of shift back into things for yourself, like running or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. kind of, <laughs> it's so tempting to kind of try and do all the things, but that really does take us, away. it takes us out of being present, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I, I
2: mean, I, there is that temptation to not be present through a lot of, of the kind of nitty gritty of, of uh, you know, young kids' family life. Um, there's just, there's so many ways to distract yourself and, you know, be it with your phone or like a television or, you know, my Kindle, (laughs) like just kind of like block it out. Um, but you know, like you said, they, they need that. Like they need someone to kind of be able to look them in the eye and say, look, I'm here and I'm listening to you and we're going to continue to work on putting our shoes on by ourselves. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I know. but i mean i understand completely because sometimes like the the day in day outness of that of, of parenting and like those those issues that like looking back they don't last that long but in the moment it feels like i'm going to be doing this forever <laughs> this is going to be my life forever it's not until you know you kind of get past those those phases so like, oh, you know it didn't last forever it's okay it really was just a phase yeah
2: it's it's it is nice to have kids at three different ages because when they go through when the younger two go through something we're like oh this is going to last 6 months <laughs> and and then we'll be out of it you know
0: that's absolutely the difference between the eldest child and any subsequent kids like everything is just yeah. so much less um you know, urgent and pressured because you do know that eventually one day they will sleep through the night and one day they will eat solids and one day, you know, they will be toilet trained. How are you finding city living with your three boys? Like, um, cause you guys are in a, a, a two bedroom apartment now. You know,
2: people asked us right away and, uh, it's been great so far. The actual square footage is 1100 square feet. And before we moved back, we were in a similar square footage but in like a Victorian townhouse, terrace house kind of thing. Um and the layout of our flat is is great for young kids because we're all really, you know, close and their bedrooms just off the living area. And um we're we're really enjoying it. And they've really adapted well. My my oldest is almost six and he knows there's, you know, there's a lot more traffic here and um, he knows when to stop on his scooter on the sidewalks and he, you know, can, there, you know, there might be a parking garage or something and he knows to stop before he like goes across and, um, and our, our middle child, I can, I can already see that he's learning these kind of rules of living in a bigger city and he's, you know, we're, we're able to give them a little bit of a, a leash, like a leash, so to speak, a lead, some, some space and, Probably more than uh, maybe some people are used to because my husband was saying, like, he's had a couple people run after our, um, our middle child who is definitely capable enough now. Like, he can kind of walk ahead, you know, 40, 50 feet and stop at a, um, on a corner and wait for my, you know, my husband or I if we're pushing the stroller. And you'll see other people kind of go, whoa! There's this little kid in in the city on their own. <laughs> I mean, they kind of look around, and then they like, you know, we usually give them a wave, like, yeah, we got that one. That he's he's ours. I see him. He's okay. Um, so yeah, they've done really well with it. They, my oldest, still sometimes asks about the Isla Man and his friends there, and when we're going back. But he's also really. Really enjoyed kind of the perks of living here, and um, that we're just kind of a you know a block or two from the seawall. And there's some really cool stuff. Um, we're members at Science World, and we can go there. And he's got his cousins, and um, and I think he likes kind of the buzz. And as a parent, I'm 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 happy that we're we're now living somewhere that's really diverse, and uh, the kids are going to get a little bit more exposure to. You know, the kind of not not so nice things about living in a city, but that I think are really important um, for them to know about homelessness and things like that. I grew up in the suburbs and it, it always felt very shocking to come uh, into the city and see people on the street. And um, there's some good to that, to the shockiness, but I think there's also a lot of like lessons and compassion and empathy that young kids can can grow up
0: with when it's around them more yeah and i guess it's just raising kids to be you know socially aware and um you know aware of the the issues that are at play and you know their their role in it or like not obviously not as children but you know just like you say growing up with a compassionate view of the world yeah um i was talking to tish Oxenrider recently who's just traveled um around the world with her her kids for almost a year and she said something similar about their return to the States. Um, They've noticed just how tightly held, um, you know, like on the whole in a very general way North Americans are with their children and their safety. Like they, um, you know, when they're in different parts of Europe and Asia, it was so much more free, you know, their kids were free to explore a park without actually being within eyesight of their parents, you know, and they were just that much less um, concerned about like the perils of the big city or whatever it is. Is that something you've noticed since you shifted back to, to, um, to Vancouver?
2: Um, yeah, for sure. I've even had parents like Vancouver parents tell me, Oh yeah, I can't like this other family. They've been living in Europe and they've come back and they've, the kids are just like kind of allowed to roam and that's not how our family works. And it's really hard to explain to my kids why their peer who's the same age is allowed all these kind of freedoms, so to speak. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see it here. And I, I think there's a there's a real kind of North American cult of parenting um, that, you know, it's just true. It's, it's changed since I grew up. There's a lot more hovering and I'm not sure if it's just that, you know, people are becoming parents when they're older and maybe a little bit more concerned or they've they're or, or it's that some of it I think could be that there's smaller families. So, you know, you just, you can, if you only have one or two children, you really can uh, keep that close eye on them. Whereas I'm from a family of six. So my mom, and it was a single parent family, and my mom was just outnumbered. So there was, (laughs) you know, there just had to be a huge amount of, of trust there. And, and, you know, we knew that and the responsibility of watching your younger sibling and that you would listen to your older sibling. And um, for sure, I, I think it's, it's quite. It's actually quite different here, and even from the Isle of Man, there's. It's almost an eighties feel there, and you know, people don't lock their doors, and um, there's. Everybody kind of has the same birthday party, and there's no theme, you know. Whereas you come back here, and it's intense. You know, people have got parents. You know, spend a lot more time on on certain aspects of their children's childhood. Um, here than they do definitely as I was growing up and definitely in other parts of the world. Um, so it's it's a little – I'm definitely getting my chops back for resisting that and for just saying, you know, we're having your ha- your Halloween-slash-birthday party and it's going to be X and just some simple games and it'll be great and not that fancy but great.
0: Yeah, it's it's the idea of resisting – that kind of intensity in you know childhood parties and, and whatnot is an interesting um, point because that's something that I'm pretty much or very much about as well. Like we keep just the example of birthday parties, we keep them very simple and at this point in time only to family. Uh, but people will often ask me like how mm-hmm. how do you how do you resist the pressures? How do you um, you know, continue on your own path, your own way without bowing to what other people are doing, what other people are expecting. Do you have any kind of techniques or, or ways of talking about it that that makes it really clear that actually, you know, you guys do this and that's fine, but we're going to do this? Yeah. I you know. I'm, I'm pretty open with people. Like I, I'll say it plainly. I enjoy going to
2: like a super over the top birthday party and seeing what these parents have done. Like It's fascinating and, you know, I can see see a lot of the fun in it for the parent and the child, but I've always just kind of said this this is how we do things. Some years we don't have parties. When my kids are really young, particularly for the first two, they don't really get gifts on their birthdays. Um, Now that we have older children watching on the birthdays, they might get like a very small token thing and it might actually be an existing toy wrapped up. Um, for them to, you know, open. Um, but, uh, I think you, you have to kind of build your confidence for your own parenting style. And, you know, that comes with everything, right? With like, you know, I know my kids, I know my kids best and it's great that you're doing that, but we're going to do this and neither, neither one is, is wrong or right. It's just how we're, we're, you know, we're, we're living. And that's that to me, that's the crux of the issue is like, don't don't worry what the other family is doing. They're doing what's best for them. And I'll keep doing what's what's best for for me and my family. You know, and it's with everything, like we've just started doing soccer and swimming. And that feels like lots. And yet there's so much more like, you know, the kids are arriving for the soccer practice, and they've already done hockey. And they do that three times a week. And then they've got this and this and this. And And I can see the parents, some of the parents that really enjoy that schedule and I can even see that some particular children thrive on it, but it's not for everyone. And it's, and you know, right now it's definitely not for, for my kids. And it's, it's not for me. And, and I was a, you know, very high level athlete. So I know all about the lessons that can be learned from being very intense and, and really committing to a sport. But, uh, I don't really see that my my six year old, my almost six year old is like anywhere anywhere close to that right now.
0: <laughs> I, I mean I wanna come back and ask you about your um your sport and your training in a sec. But I think what you were saying before is really key because um when we know our priorities or our values and we know like why we're we're choosing certain way of living or a certain way of doing things, when we know that, when we're aware of it, when we can stand in front of anyone and like articulate it, then nothing, you know, like nothing can dissuade us really. It's really, but that takes time and it takes thought and it takes a lot of headspace, and it takes a lot of, you know, effort to kind of work that stuff out. And I think, as you say, there is no right and wrong. It's just, what works for me, my family, our current situation, and you can you can stand and deliver it to anyone and know that it's right for you and you you can kind of let any judgment or any um you know unhappiness or or comparison just slide off because it's just not applicable yeah
2: yeah, and I think you're so right, like I think that's what what starts kind of these tensions between you know these mommy wars and parenting things is that there's people think there's supposed to be like some set way to do everything. And it's just not, not true, you know, and I, my family, we have some unique challenges with some of our kids that, you know, we're dealing with in way X and some other family is going to do it differently. And, and I think it's really important. Like I'm always appreciative of friends who are giving me their take on what, how they're handling a parenting situation or why they're doing what they're doing. Because it just gives me kind of more insight and, you know, helps me think through what we're doing.
0: Exactly. And you can kind of, um, uh, you know, add certain things to your your kind of your repertoire or your parenting toolbox or your life toolbox, you know, um, and dip into them as well. You know, when people offer insights or suggestions or tips or advice or whatever that, that jive with what you you're kind of the direction you're heading it's so valuable to be able to dip into that kind of collective experience as well you don't have to forge your own path all the time yeah so i completely
2: agree sharing is like the way i've gotten some of my best parenting tips like i remember sharing with a friend i was like oh our little child like is not kind of sleeping that well right yet and she told me her little you know evening routine and i was like oh there's some great ideas in that i'm going to try it and um just you know coming at things with without judgment and with an open mind and and uh yeah it's helpful in like in in every way
0: (laughs) it it really is when i look at the things that work really well um you know at, at home with particular issues like that came from this person or this you know this suggestion came from here or i was reading about this it's yeah it's um it's It's very helpful to be able to dip into that, so um going back to your your training um so you were you were a rower, weren't you? yeah, yeah, I was a rower, I got into it when I was
2: fourteen, I think, yeah, and i I kind of you know I'd been a very mediocre athlete, but my mom had always said, you know, if you want to join, you can join, and I'll help you get to practice you know for volleyball and basketball um and then I tried rowing when I was 14 and immediately really loved it and really felt like it was something I could be good at and, you know, quickly kind of became obsessed. I was, you know, this is pre-internet, so I was going to the library and looking at books on it and, you know, just doing, like, doing on-land training all on my own because I was that into it. And it, um, you know, it, worked, uh, it, it was a great part of my life. And um, I, you know, got a scholarship to go to school in the States. So it paid for my education. And um, I went on to row for Canada at the 2003 world championships. And we got a medal and I was really close to going to the the Olympics in 2004. And then um, I didn't. And then I retired in 2005. And um, the women I trained with back then are still, some of my closest friends, even though we live very, very far apart. So I've met just great people through it too.
0: That's amazing. Um, And what, I I mean, obviously competing at that level, you would have had to learn discipline and uh, like a single mindedness. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you like, what was one of the biggest kind of takeaways from that period in in time, that period in your life that you still apply now?
2: Uh, You know, I think success or learning something new does not happen overnight. And, uh, you know, I look at things now in my life, maybe habits I want to change or things I'd like to do, and I feel that even though some of them have not happened in the last few years, uh, even though I've tried, you know, a couple times, um, I don't feel that discouraged by failure. (laughs) I think that's actually, that's probably one of the biggest things. I'm not that discouraged by failure and I'm not, I'm not that embarrassed to fail, like to tell a friend, oh, I want to do this and I'm going to try. And, um, and then they're like, Oh, you you know, you, you, are you sure you're going to do that? I'm like, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to try. And, and so I think actually with, with blogging and stuff, it's, it's really helped me because I know, <laughs> A lot of my friends were like, Oh, you don't want to write a blog, that would be really embarrassing. And what if no one read it? And <laughs> I was like, No, no, I'm I'm writing it for myself, you know. That this this is how I started blogging because I really want to like do this. I wanna get rid of a lot of the junk in my house and this is really appealing to me. And I did have some friends who had I know they kinda of had like secondhand embarrassment for me, like, Oh, don't do that. <laughs> you don't wanna do that because you might look silly and you might fail. Um And, you know, there's lots of, of things I've, I've failed. In some ways, my rowing career was a failure because I didn't end up going to the Olympics, but I'm not like, it's really, it's fairly easy for me to talk about that because I'm, I'm not really embarrassed by that failure. I'm, I'm more proud of the accomplishment of like pushing through to try to see if I could do it, you know, to making kind of an audacious goal and, Going after it, um, and I—I I really hope my kids. I hope they—they they find something in their life that they commit to. Whether it's—I don't know—they don't, don't have to have like great success at it, but something that they kind of get that from, where they say, you know, I'm, I want to do this. I want to learn to play the piano. You know, play in a band, play guitar in a band, or or do something. You know, go on to do some kind of academic thing or start a business or whatever it is. Um, and they get that lesson of, of pursuing something, whether you, you actually, you know, make the goal, have great success at it or not. There's just something so powerful about learning the lessons behind doing, you know, hard work. I mean, I, I when I was 13, I worked at a kind of like a, a beach concession stand burger joint and, I I, The lessons from that were invaluable. I'm really hoping my kids work in the service industry and learn the the value of like cleaning a floor in a restaurant and serving people and the hard work that is. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's just there's great lessons to be learned. I'm going to say it working at McDonald's when you're a teenager, you know, (laughs) like.
0: Oh I agree completely. I mean I think there's two things that you just said there that were really powerful like you know the the lesson that led you to not being afraid of failure. Like I think that's hugely important and I think people would be in a you know in generally speaking people would be in a much better way if they if there was just less fear of failure. Like yeah. failure means that you're you tried, you know and yeah. you put yourself out there and you you like to fail you have to try. And mm-hmm. the second thing is just the, the, the idea of what you learn from struggle or what you learn from um, like virtually every, every um, experience, there's always lessons to be learned and like I'm similarly, when I look back at certain things that at the time felt like a disaster or mm-hmm. a really horrible, trying period in my life, like they're the things that have taught me the most.
2: I, I totally agree like those moments of like just kind of sheer despair and or feeling that embarrassment of like oh my friends are going to find out that you know this failed relationship or I didn't get this job or or whatnot and like you know that's those are the lessons in life right pick yourself up dust yourself off and kind of decide I'm gonna you know I'm gonna dream again right
0: exactly you know um and unless it's like a, some kind of catastrophically dangerous failure, you're probably not going to die either. You know? Yes, so true. So true. <laughs> there are yeah. some failings that might lead to death, but yeah. you know, typically yeah. that's not what we're talking about. Um, it was interesting. I was talking to um, Kate Flanders from um, Blonde on a Budget a few months ago. She's local to
2: me. Oh, yeah,
0: right, she's, of course. She's in this neck of the woods, yeah, yeah. I she's, love her. She's yeah. lovely. Yeah. Um, and she was talking about when she first started writing about her, um, uh, you know, her blog about finances and her budgeting and paying off debt, she was terrified of what people that she knew would think of her and her, you know, quote unquote failures. Um, but the opposite actually happened. And, you know, you put yourself out there and you, you make yourself like vulnerable in a certain sense by being honest and talking cool. about you know, failings or talking about, um, you know, things that, that didn't work out in the way that you hoped. And that's where people connect with you. You know, did you, have you found that with your blog as well? Like when you're, you're talking really honestly about struggles with stuff or, you know, for
2: sure. Yeah. I mean, when we first, like I was on a radio show here, um, and I discussed how much debt we were in <laughs> and it was, it was like kind of embarrassing. Um, I had to kind of clear it with my husband, And, uh, I think getting over that, getting over the like, okay, I've like, I've kind of failed at this doesn't mean I'm a bad person. I'm having a struggle that's really universal here. Um, when you, you know, kind of own it and just say, yeah, this is who I am. I've racked up a bunch of debt. I'm not proud of it, but it's who I am. There's, there's, it's such a freedom. It's, it's, you know, that's where your confidence comes, right? Because you're like, I, warts and all, here I am, and uh, and I'm I, I'm still okay with myself. I'm I'm happy with myself, and I can, you know, I can keep living and feeling good about myself, even though I may be in a bunch of debt, not at my you know prime physically, and and uh, maybe I've had a bunch of a bunch of things that I've tried and they haven't worked out, and I haven't been able to you know finish them or they haven't been the success I, I'd hoped for.
0: And there's so much freedom in that. Like just yeah. to let that weight of expectation of perfection kind of go, no one's perfect. Everyone screws up. Like everyone has things that are their weaknesses and everyone has things that are their strengths as well. But, you know, yeah. just to own that is um, it's really like empowering to use a word that's overused. Yeah, no, it's
2: it's a confidence builder. I mean, it's, <laughs> I don't think we, we think about confidence in that way of, we think about it, oh, I've accomplished this, so I feel confident. But I, I really feel that kind of owning your mistakes and and being able to say, I'm really not good at this, is, is a confidence builder. It's so much easier for me to admit that there's things I'm really not good at and either get help with them or outsource them or decide, like, we're not doing that, um, rather than kind of try and suffer on feeling not great about myself because I'm failing at this like certain you know be it like doing a themed birthday party (laughs) instead I'm like you know what we're not doing I'm not really into that and when I finally accepted that I don't really like doing crafts with my kids and so we have limited craft supplies and I try and take them to the library or if they go to daycare they get some exposure that way it was it was a good day you know (laughs)
0: Yeah. And it's like the, the mental equivalent of letting go as well, I guess, you know, um, like you can't, <laughs> you, 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 actually can't do everything. You can't own everything. You can't be on top of everything and like letting go of that and owning it. It's awesome. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> and I think there's kind of a, like a parallel there with decluttering. Um, because I think one of the biggest things that people hold onto, um, with their stuff is, it it gets through fear of admitting you know i wasted my money on this or i'm never actually going to finish this craft project or i'm never going to fit into my wedding dress again you know like part of the reason that we we hold on is out of fear and embarrassment and shame and i think that the physical act of decluttering is also something that i personally found a whole heap of freedom in because you just let go like you let go of those worries those plans that didn't work out that life that you never actually lived you know
2: oh yeah i i I couldn't i couldn't agree more i mean there's there's such a weight of of hugely kind of negative emotion about what's in our closets or those things in our house that we want to hold on to and if i give them away what does it say about me does it say that i gave up does it say that, you know, I made a mistake and I'm like, it says that you're moving on, that, you know, that was the past and and you tried that and maybe it didn't work out and, you know what, you will continue to live, live again.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it and that's sort of the, um, I'm not sure about you, but when I, I kind of started to dig into minimalism and simple living, I was in a really fragile mental state. Like I had really terrible postnatal depression um so i couldn't like i was so raw and like, emotionally just fragile i couldn't i i couldn't deal with that stuff yet so i dealt with the physical clutter and that in and of itself became like a you know an exercise in mindfulness and you know getting down to like our intentions and our priorities, and that's something that I try and kind of explain to people who are feeling completely overwhelmed. I'm like, it actually, your physical stuff does have an impact on your emotional and mental well-being over time as you start to let go of it and you let go of those dreams and failures and plans that never worked. And you know, I think, um, yeah, there's a real power to it. Is that is that something that you've also kind of experienced? Did you come to minimalism from um, like an emotional side or from the decluttering kind of side?
2: You know, I, I mean, I, there's some similar sh- similar kind of shades to, to your story. For me, it was that I had been on maternity leave with our first son, and it had been a great maternity leave. I met some amazing women, um, but we had a really colicky baby, and I was really shell-shocked um, from that and very, very tired. And I felt just like the walls were closing in at home. And I read about minimalism and it seemed great. I was like, I could really use the the mental space back of not looking at these kind of stuffed closets and worrying about all those things in that pile over there. And so, yeah, it's definitely started with the kind of physical and the material and getting rid of those things. And as you know, once that's done, you, you start really looking at the, your lifestyle more and what's left and like, I've made a choice to not own this, to not give it my time and my energy. What other decisions am I making in my life right now that I, I could I could change? What are what are other things that I'm doing that I actually really don't want to be doing, and uh, or things I'm spending money on, or you know, you know, kind of the sky's the limit with it. And it just re, it just started to reframe how I thought about you know really, you know, what my husband and I were doing, what the kind of next 20 years was going to look like. And, you know, we we went down the hole, like, got rid of cable and got rid of our car. And, yeah, it was a a great process. It, It really changed the conversation that my husband and I were having about what our life was going to look like. And I think it really opened us up to this opportunity that came to go overseas. It was just, it was... It was real, really unbelievable timing how it all kind of happened that way.
0: And I think that's um, that idea of opening you up to possibilities is a really big one um, because I, I speak to a lot of people who have made these changes in their life and as a result they're doing things that maybe they never thought that they would be able to do, like they're earning a living in a way that they never thought they'd be able to, to earn a living or they're living in a place or traveling to places or, you know, um, growing their family in ways that they never thought they'd be able to. And it's, it, it's really interesting to me that the more space, even just physically, if, if physically, the more space that we give ourselves, the more, um, you know, broadly we can kind of focus and open up and, and become like responsive, I think.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. It's so funny how it's like, people are like, what's well, all about the stuff? I'm like, no, you know what, this is, this is like any other kind of like personal journey, it starts with the stuff. And then by the end of it, you're like, Oh, it wasn't really about the stuff. It was about kind of finding some space to really think about what, what I want to do and what, what has meaning for me. And, and then the really interesting thing to me is it's different for everyone, you know? And I, I see that with other people who've, Emailed me, or you know I'm on another blog and read about everyone's kind of journey if they decide to to start living a little bit simpler with a little bit less stuff. It looks different, and, and that's the really cool thing to me too is you know people can still be a gourmet chef, they can still have the hobbies that they they really love and and also benefit from getting rid of all the stuff they don't they don't really love and they're not really using. That's, that part really excites me, and it excites me that it's accessible to, to everyone, who, everyone who's fortunate enough to be in a position of, of getting rid of stuff. You know, it's, it's not one size. Like, it's not everybody has to do the same thing or the same process. Um, I'm actually, my big project this year is to do offer in-home services for people who are feeling overwhelmed with their stuff Um, and I think it'll be a really cool experience for me to learn more about other people and how, you know, what they struggle to get rid of and, and what's easy for them and, and the process.
0: That is awesome. I think I can imagine you're going to be, um, very, very popular in that that service. Um, Yes.
2: Condo dwellers in Vancouver, call me. Oh, awesome! Where can people find out? The I'm launching uh, a separate site to it, but it's it's not up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can just email me at theminimalistmom at gmail dot com. Um, I'm hoping it will launch before Christmas, um, and it's got an in home component and then more of like a virtual continued coaching component to it. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited from coming back and talking to other people living in small spaces and with Vancouver's affordability issues. I think, um, I think this is, is it's needed and there's lots of people I can help. And, um, there's lots of people like me who are first generation apartment dwellers who grew up in big homes. And I think there's a real mind shift. You have to have to go through, um, when you, know that you're probably living in a, in a condo or an apartment for forever <laughs> because stand, standalone homes here are over a million dollars. So starting at over a million
0: dollars. Man, that's like Sydney. That's yeah. just crazy town.
2: Yeah, Sydney's got the same thing. It's just, <laughs> it's incredible.
0: It's nuts. Um, that's really exciting though. That's um, I, I can't wait to see how how that progresses and like the, the people who help you. So good luck with it. Uh, thank you. Um, well, I guess that's a, as good a place as any to, to stop and um, to say thank you for chatting with me. I could absolutely have spoken to you for quite a lot longer, um, but I know that your boys me will too. be <laughs> Well, when you launch your, um, and come, I'm waiting for like the chaos coming. <laughs> um, I and my kids will be awake any time. So, <laughs> uh, but maybe when you you know when you launch your um, your service next year, come back on and yeah. and talk to us about it because I'd love to talk to you some more. Yeah, me too me too awesome thanks so much rachel have a great day there Brooke. you too okay we'll talk to you later okay bye. this has been another episode of the slow home podcast if you enjoyed it be sure to subscribe via itunes and leave us a rating or a review thanks for listening